0: I want you to uh, take your Bibles, and you can turn to Genesis. John chapter 1 says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. <laughs> two, two little words that will radically change your life forever. Follow me. The power of just a couple of words. And in a few weeks, my my daughter is going to say two words, three letters, I do. And those are two powerful words, two words that will change your life forever. But there's nothing like those two words from Jesus. Follow me. Now, most of us here, most of us over in the venue, most of you watching online or whatever, you've heard those words. Yeah, you didn't hear them audibly, but there came a moment in your life when God opened your eyes to the truth, to the truth about you, the truth about your sin, the truth about the fact that your sin had separated you from the Father. The truth that he so loved you that he sent his son Jesus Christ to, to die for you. That Jesus was put in a tomb. The truth that three days later he walked out of that grave proving that he was who he said he was. And you, you, you heard God in a way say, follow me. Follow me. And most of us did. Most of us are followers of the the lord and and here 's the deal it, it costs you something to be a follower of christ I mean it, it, it really there 's a cost to it, and we 're starting to experience that more and more here in America with twenty uh, four hour news you know, cable stuff, and everybody with cell phones and stuff, we can actually see today uh, people that um, the cost was they had their heads cut off. There was a, a real cost. It cost them their lives when they responded to those two little words, follow me. It says this in hebrews chapter 11 and hebrews 11 is really about all these great men and women of the faith and they were all people that made a decision to follow god and hebrews 11 talks about all the great accomplishments of of these people but when you get to verse 35 things change it says this about some of our brothers and sisters but others were tortured refusing to turn from god in order to be set free They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and others' backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. We have a lot of brothers and sisters in the Lord who, um, it was a pretty tough gig to be a follower of the Lord. Uh, I have a book that I recommend every Christian have on their bookshelf, and usually about once a year or once every other year I I bring it up in here, and that is the book called Jesus Freaks. And if you name the name of Christ, you should have this book in your library. And basically what it is, it just tells the story. These are historical stories of people, uh, including the 12 original disciples, but people who lost their lives in some pretty crummy ways for simply being a follower of Jesus. And a lot of the stories in here are just heartbreaking. And this past week I spent some time once again reading some of the stories of these great men and women who heard the voice of God, "Follow me," they did, and then they died a horrific death. You see there's there's something encouraging about that also. You see, I'm able to look back, and I'm able to see these great men and women of the faith who had the baton, they were running their leg of the race, if you will. And they handed the baton off to another generation, and they they lost their lives in just some really, really crummy ways. And then that generation ran, and here we are today, beloved, and the baton's been handed off to us. It's our turn to run the race, and unfortunately in the world that we live in today, there's just a a lot of, um, it's not easy. We hear about Christians being murdered and slaughtered and stuff. There was another reason why I pulled this book out. Um, My son and I are going, we're watching a Bible program on on TV. I brought my son home this little booklet on Noah's Ark. And at some moment, I'm going to sit down each night and I'm going to read him one of these stories. I want him to know that um, the journey of faith has not always been an easy one for those that have come before us. And I also want to prepare him for what I believe is coming to this great country that I love so dearly. Things are changing here. And those of you that are younger, you're probably going, what's that guy talking about? Look at your gray hair, old guy, man. You know what he's talking about. No, it's because I have gray hair and I'm an old guy that I can say that because I've seen this country change so radically. You can just kind of see what's on the horizon. And I want my son to be prepared for, I think, some difficult times to come. I'll probably be dead and with the Lord, but I want my kids to be ready. I want them to know. I would be honored if my children were freaks for the Lord. Another book that's just like this is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is an easier read. This would be the NLT version of that, if you will. (laughs) They just kind of wrote it in a way that's just easier for kids and for uh, adults to to understand. But you ought to have that book in in your library. Look, here's the deal. Following God will not always be easy. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say that following God will be easy. But God did say this to the great prophet Jeremiah. He said, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It may not be easy to follow the the Lord, but when those difficult times come, this is a great truth to meditate on. You see, God cares about you, and he has a great plan for your life. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. He says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, and those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, as I said, um, it's getting tougher to be somebody who says, I am a follower of the Lord. But here's the deal. When those difficult times come, It's important that we as Christians hang on to some of these great truths like, hey, God works all things for the good to those who love him. And I thought about these people who all lost their lives in horrible ways, just horrible ways. And here I have this book that recorded their stories. And God is using them in a great way in my own life to encourage me. God is using their stories to help me go, look, you all ran the race and it cost you your life. I've got the baton now. My turn. Thank you for being a great illustration to me. Thank you for paving the way. Thank you. And may I have the same faith that, that, that you had. God is using these horrible stories to be a great in, encouragement um, to me. Now here's the deal. Today we're going to talk about a guy who uh, heard those two words, follow me, and wow, did he uh, go through the ringer. And that's a guy by the name of Joseph. And I, what I want to do is I, I kind of want to unpack his his story for you so that you understand a little bit about who he is, and then we'll We'll look at two two things that I think might be a blessing to you. In Genesis chapter 37, we're told about a 17-year-old boy named Joseph. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons born to a man by the name of Jacob. And Joseph's dad, Jacob, really liked Joseph. In fact, uh, Joseph was probably his dad's favorite son, One one day, his dad, Jacob, bought his son this really nice, multicolored coat, and some of you have probably heard that story. And could you imagine, here you are, you're one of 12 brothers, dad shows up one day, I don't know, at the dining room table, hey, Joseph, I got you a brand new coat, Joseph puts that thing on, it's beautiful, and the other 11 brothers are going, "Uh, hello, hello, (laughs) hello, hey, dad, what about me? And then all of a sudden, God began to give Joseph some some dreams or some visions about his life. And Joseph makes the mistake of going to his brothers, who are you know they're already ticked at him for having this jacket, and he starts to tell them about these dreams and these visions that God has given him. And so the brothers are a little upset, to say the least. In fact, the brothers all get together, and they come up with a plan that, you know what? Let's just take our brother out. Let's just kill him. Let's just murder him. So one day, they're all out in the fields, and sure enough, here comes Joseph. And they start kind of planning thinking, hey, we'll just bonk him over the head, you know, we'll take, take him out. And they finally decide, no, 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 let's not kill him, but what we'll do is we'll sell him into slavery. So Joseph shows up, hey, bros, what's going on? You know, good to see you. And the next thing you know, he's tied up, and he's sold into slavery. The brothers then take uh, some of his clothing, they kind of dip it in some blood, they take it back to dad, and they said, hey, dad, (laughs) I've got bad news for you. you know, Joseph, the one you love so much, well, he got mauled and eaten by some wild animals. So they lied to their father. Imagine you're Joseph. God's given you a plan for your life, a dream for your life. Now he's shackled and he's on a caravan with a bunch of other people. Own brothers sold him into slavery. verse 37 of genesis or verse 36 of genesis 37 says this meanwhile the midianite sold joseph in egypt to potiphar one of potiphar's officials one of pharaoh's officials the captain of the guard so here we've got joseph here's where he ends up he gets sold into slavery i don't know the little caravan you know shows up in town there was this big shot Potiphar was a big shot you're you're captain in in Pharaoh's guard you're you're way up the food chain and he showed up I don't know if all these slaves got off the you know off the caravan but he said I'll take that one right there and he buys Joseph and so now Joseph is in a strange land with a strange man and um, that's where I kind of want to pick up the the story okay Genesis chapter 39 look at verse 1 it says when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders same as the Midianites he was purchased by Potiphar an Egyptian officer Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh uh for Pharaoh the, the the king of Egypt so as I said he's a big shot the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. Okay, things are trying to look up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? First he sold into slavery. He gets picked up by this guy named Potiphar. He doesn't know who this guy is. He just knows he's a big shot. He probably had the big sword and all the stuff and had on the uni. And now all of a sudden he's working in there. He's just living out his faith inside Potiphar's home. Living a a good life, God-honoring life. Potiphar notices it and says, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm not just going to make you just any slave. I'm going to make you my personal attendant. Attendant like movie stars today have personal attendants he's become potiphar's personal attendant this is this is this is a pretty pretty good gig it says he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned From the day joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property the lord began to bless potiphar's household for joseph's sake all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished so, Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except, you know, what kind of food was he gonna eat? Man, the trajectory of Joseph's life is going in a, in going a good, good direction. First, he's thrown into slavery by his brothers, and imagine the caravan ride, you know, into Egypt and how depressed and bummed maybe he might have been, but now, Things are looking up. He's just living out his faith. Having some hard times. He's just living out his faith, though. It says, Joseph was a very handsome man and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Oh, no. I got the feeling the story's going to change here. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. And when you're the captain of the guard, you, you probably got more shekels than the average person, so probably, you know, he, he had the pick of the litter, if you will. He could have picked probably the most beautiful of gals in the area. I'm sure Mrs. Potiphar, I don't know, what, whatever her name was, uh, was, uh, you know, was a pretty nice-looking gal. And day after day after day, she's coming on to... Joseph, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept her out of the way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around, and he went to go do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and had fled, she cried out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me. But I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told her the story, told him the story, that that Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran, out, ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison, And he showed himself his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. (laughs) The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him, and he caused everything he did to have success. So here we've got the story of uh, Joseph selling, uh, or Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house, but while he's there, he, he lives an honorable life, which, which catches the attention of his master, Potiphar, and so Potiphar promotes him to oversee his home. Then Potiphar's wife jacks him up, lies about him, and he gets thrown into prison, but once again, he lives an honorable life, and uh, he gets promoted by the warden to be second in command of the prison. But in Genesis chapter 41 there came a moment because of how Joseph lived his life and because he Im- interpreted some dreams that Pharaoh then promoted him out of the prison to be second in command of Egypt. He he's now the second most powerful man on the planet now. When you get to Genesis chapter 41 Starts out, brothers jack him up, sold into slavery. He lives an honorable life. He gets moved to second in command of Potiphar's home, basically. Potiphar's wife lies, and he gets thrown into prison, but he lives a God-honoring life, and now he's second in command in, in the prison. And how he lived in that prison caught the eye then of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh pulls him out of the prison and says, I'm going to make you second in command in all of Egypt. Now let me quickly tell you how this story ends, just just so you have the whole picture, okay? A lot of years have gone by since his brother sold him into slavery, and they have no clue what happened to him. As far as they know, he might be dead. But there came a moment when they had to go back to Egypt. All these brothers had to go back to Egypt because there was a drought In the land and Egypt basically had all the food and so they make their way to town you know all the brothers they have no clue what Joseph looks like a lot of years have gone by and they show up in Egypt and guess who they run into little brother but they don't know little brother is second in command of Egypt they don't know who he is they just know that they're standing before a very 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 powerful person now Joseph recognizes them but they don't recognize him and I was thinking you know if I'd have been Joseph and I'm second in command of you know right under Pharaoh and I got all this power and I know that they sold me into slavery they broke some laws you know what I'd do nice to see you fellas you know I'd have thrown them into prison I'd have cut off their fingers one at a time over the course of you know one finger a month for 12 months and then one toe a month for 12 months you know let's see what Joseph does in Genesis chapter 50 verse 18 it says this his brothers finally notice who he is Then his brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're your slaves. Oh, man. This was a a bummer of a moment. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Let me tell you something. Joseph understood the theological truth that God is in control of everything. Joseph understood the theological truth of Romans 8, that God works it all out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, the reason why Joseph just didn't come unglued and, and you know, be bitter and, and angry is because he went to a deeper place. He, he went to the theological place, the, the, the God place. And he knew that God was sovereign. He understood that. He knew that God was in complete control. He knew that God had a plan for his life, a vision for his life. There wasn't anything that was going to stop God's plan. He understood Romans 8, God's going to work it all out for good, and that's why he could say these unbelievable words in Genesis chapter 50. You see, the story of Joseph is really fascinating, and there are many things that we can learn from his life. I'm going to tease out just two real quickly for you, okay? Uh, Number one, the life of Joseph teaches us that nobody is exempt from trials and temptations. I want to make sure you write that down. That is a truth that all of you need to understand that nobody is exempt from trials and temptations. Verse 2 of our story says, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Over and over again, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph, yet Joseph still went through the ringer. Did you hear that, Christian? Joseph was a a godly man. He cared about God deeply. He honored God with his life. God was with him, and yet he still goes through the ringer. Don't, don't ever think that, man, if I could just you know, walk with the Lord long enough and learn you know, all that there is to know about the Bible, that I'll finally get to the place where I don't have troubles anymore. I don't have any you know, problems anymore. That's not true. Jesus said this in, in, in John chapter 16. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. Troubles are just the standard equipment of life. Th- this isn't one of the, the, the great promises that we all like to claim as believers, but it's a promise nonetheless. While you're living on this planet, while you're sucking in on the air, you know, eating the food and doing all that, you're going to have troubles. Troubles. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how closely you walk with God, you're you're, going to have troubles. Habakkuk chapter 3 says this, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful of my God, the God of my salvation. That verse right there reminds me a lot of, of, of Joseph. That verse is basically saying, Habakkuk saying, look, man, my, my vineyards don't have any, uh, you know, grapes on them. They're all dried up. None of my fruit trees are bearing any fruit. My, my cattle's all dead, you know. There was, wasn't enough hay in, you know, in the barns. There was no water. Everything around me is kind of miserable. But it's not going to impact my joy for the Lord. That was Joseph. Joseph understood that the Lord was with him. Joseph understood that God was sovereign. Joseph understood all these things, and there wasn't anything that was going to rob him of his joy. Nothing. And when I read this passage in Habakkuk, I thought, man, that reminds me of the life of Joseph. It didn't matter what happened to Joseph, he was going to rejoice. Psalms 118 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Remember, the the, the Lord loves you. The Lord saved you. The Lord redeemed you. The Lord adopted you. The Lord gave you an inheritance. The Lord is building you a home in heaven. The, 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 The Lord went to a cross and died for you. He rose from the grave for you. The Bible says that God lives in you. The Bible says that God has a plan for your life. You know, we have a lot to rejoice in. We as as Christians have a lot to rejoice in. And when you look at the life of Joseph, he had every right to be angry and upset and bitter and all that, but he wasn't. He loved the Lord, and yet he still went through trials. It says this in James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, and a better word there would be, mature and complete, needing nothing. And I read that this week, and I thought to myself, man, how would you like to get a letter like that from me? You know, you're going through all kinds of heavy stuff. Life has kidney punched you, and, and you reach out to me, and I send you a letter back, and I say, hey, I know you got a lot of problems in your life right now, but here's my advice. Be happy. <laughs> I know exactly what you'd do. You'd switch churches. You'd post on your Facebook page, what a jerk I am, you know, right? Hey, guy's a jerk, man. Told him about all these crummy things that are happening in my life, and he sent me back a letter saying, be happy. But that's exactly what James was doing here. The Holy Spirit filled James's life and said, James, this is what I want you to pin to my people. I want them to consider it great joy when they encounter various trials and troubles in their life. So what's James getting out here? Well, how could a You know, a person be happy and full of joy when they're going through difficult times. Well, I think the key to finding your happiness during difficult times is found in the first three words of verse three, what James said in verse three. James said, for you know. See those three words? For you know. What you know to be true determines how you will respond when life kidney punches you. It's what you know. You show me a believer who during a difficult time just kind of falls to the ground in a hump, you know, of humanity, and and I'll show you somebody who doesn't know some things. You show me somebody like Joseph who goes through difficult times with an unbelievable attitude, and I will show you somebody who knows... Some things. It's what you know that that matters. Your attitude is determined by your understanding. And in, in other words, your attitude is determined by what you you, you know. And there are a few things I just want to take out of what, what James said here, real quick. Okay? These are four things you ought to know, four truths. Number one, know that difficult times are inevitable. You gotta know that verse 2 says dear brothers and sisters when troubles come your way he doesn't say if troubles come your way He says when they come your way look at just count on them they're coming as I said earlier Jesus said in this life you're gonna have troubles we can't get away from them just because you're a believer just because you come to Big Valley Grace or whatever doesn't mean you're gonna get away from troubles are gonna come Joseph Love God. God loved Joseph, and yet here he is going through all these troubles. you got to know that God's not singling you out. God allows the natural consequences of life to just kind of happen. I remember once we have these cabinets, and up here is where all of the, you know, The good stuff is, you know, like chips, you know, and (laughs) those kinds of things. So I opened up the cabinet once, and a bag of chips fell out, and I reached down to get the chips, see, and then when I came back up, forgot the door was open, and boom! (laughs) You know what most Christians want? Most Christians want a God that would have shut the door, right? Right? But you know what? God doesn't shut the door. He lets the natural consequences of life play itself out, and if you open the door and you forgot to shut it, you'll hit your head. Don't ever sit in a room and go, God is singling me out! He lets the natural consequences of life happen. He's already told you, Christian, in this life you're going to have troubles. Things are going to be hard. Things will be tough. Now up until this point, you know we don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. But it won't be easy at times following the Lord. The second truth is this. Know that difficult times in life are unpredictable. Verse 2, once again, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, you know how to underline those three words, come your way. Nobody ever plans on difficult times. Nobody ever writes, you know, in their day timer, today I'm going to plan on something difficult happening to me. They just kind of come your way, don't they? Nobody ever takes their day timer, their day planner, their smartphone or whatever and go, okay, Let's go to September 3rd. I'm going to plan on something right They just come your way, don't they? Nobody plans on getting a flat tire. Just kind of comes your way, doesn't it? Nobody plans on getting cancer. Just kind of comes your way. Nobody plans on their spouse cheating on them. Nobody plans on having their house burglarized. It's important to know that the troubles are unpredictable they just they just kind of come your way and you got to know that know that they're inevitable and know they're just they're just they're just gonna happen in, in your life and then number three truth number three is this is know that difficult times in life always have a purpose he says hey troubles are gonna come your way consider it an opportunity for great joy here's why here's the purpose For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect or mature and complete, needing nothing. Look, here's the deal. Difficult times or troubles or whatever it is you want to call them always have a purpose. Listen, there's value in difficult times. And we as Christians don't ever think about it like that. But the Bible says that when hard times come and, oh, man, what's going on in my life? There's value to it. God is transforming you into the man that he wants you to be, the woman that he wants you to be, the, the future husband that he wants you to be, the future wife that he wants you to be. You see, too often we want to get away from troubles. Too often people come into the altar room going, I'm having troubles in my life. Pray that God would take them from me. Oh, why, would I, why would I do that? Why would I, take, why would I ask God to take something away from you that I know has value in your life? You just don't know what that value is. But there is a purpose behind it. There is a value behind it. Listen to what Spiros Zodiates said concerning this verse. He's a great Greek scholar. He said, quote, Christians should not divide their experiences into pleasant and unpleasant ones. All the experiences which God permits in our lives ought to be a source of great joy. Get the most out of every experience. When you are sick in bed, there's joy to be derived from it. When you are poor, there is joy to be experienced, for in your poverty you will acquire trust and dependence on God. When you're rich and prosperous, get all the joy you can out of the privilege of helping others. Get all the joy and profit out of every experience in life. And I just really love that quote from him. Because I, frankly, don't always see it that way. I like all the good things, to be straight up with you. I like all the pleasurable things. The hard things? eee that's difficult. Now the second thing that Joseph's life teaches us is this is that the life of Joseph teaches us that people are watching you as you go through the trials and the temptations. Everybody's going to go through them. But when you look at the life of Joseph, you can't miss this great truth that people are watching you in verse uh, 2 of our story in Genesis 39 it says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. And then you got these three great words. Potiphar noticed this.? See that? Potiphar was watching Joseph's life. Potiphar knew the story behind Joseph. He knew his brother sold him into slavery. He knew the the fact that his brothers had jacked him up. And yet he watched this young man just serve the Lord faithfully, his God faithfully. He saw it. And then he got to prison. And guess what? The the warden was watching. And the warden knew the story too. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh was watching. And let me go back and just say this. It doesn't say this in Scripture, so I don't know this to be a fact, but let me say this. I don't believe for a moment that Potiphar believed his wife. I think Potiphar knew his wife. You see, the reason why he didn't just kill Joseph the reason why he took him to prison and prison and put him in the king's part of the prison was he had to honor his wife and her word. But he knew this young man. He knew there's no way he'd do this. Potiphar was a big big shot. He would have said to the warden, "Warden, you're going to do what? You're going to, you know, you know, promote him within the prison? No way, buddy. Let me tell you what he almost did to my wife." And the warden would have you know, ended that right there. And then certainly, when Joseph was being considered to be second in charge of, of Egypt, Potiphar would have stepped forward and said, you know, Pharaoh, don't, don't do this. Let me tell you about this kid and what he did. I think Potiphar probably had a hand in Joseph becoming second in command of, in the prison and second in command of Egypt. But he had to honor his wife. Wasn't going to call his wife a liar. Can I get an amen, guys? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Now, I, I I don't know whether, you know, that's true or not. The scriptures don't tell us. But you can kind of extrapolate out a few things and go, how does this guy who's a captain in the... Why would he have even allowed all that to happen? I think he saw his life and knew this is a special young man. I think it's a great question for us to wrestle with. What do people see when they look at your life? I, I, I wrestled around with that this week. Uh, what do people see when they look at my life? And, you know, nobody's going to see a perfect soul. None of us are perfect. I tell you all the time, I, I don't always do everything right. I don't always, you know, love the way I'm supposed to love I don't always show mercy the way God wants me to show mercy I don't always show compassion the way God wants me to show compassion I I don't always love others the way God you know loves me kind of thing I I just I just I fumble but but what is the pattern of your life what do people see you got people watching you Christian It could be your neighbors. It could be the people you work with, you play golf with, you you do life with, you you have your hobbies with. And in the world we live in today, I mean, there's lots of ways that people watch us. It it might be, you know, how we interface in a foursome at golf. It might be in a video that we post. It might be in some, you know, thing we, we tweet out or post on our Facebook page there's lots of ways that people are watching us if you will and how you live matters there's a, a new book out I, I've ordered it I haven't read it yet but I really like the title of it it's called the fifth gospel and obviously you have Matthew Mark Luke and John and the fifth gospel's you and the, the theory or the point behind the book is, is this, is that few people will ever read the first four Gospels, but the fifth Gospel people see all the time, and that's how you live, what you talk about, how you interface with people. People are watching that all the time. And as I said, look, no, no, none of us are going to do it perfectly, but boy, it's, it's important how we live how we live matters people are watching us i love what acts chapter 4 says it says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of peter and john for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures they also recognized them as men who had been with jesus See, here were the religious folks who had gone all you know gone to the best colleges and all that kind of stuff and and they could see the lives of these original disciples. They could see that there was something different in their lives, like, like Potiphar could see something different in, in Joseph's lives. Like, like the warden could see that there was something different in Joseph's life. Like, like Pharaoh could see that there was something different in Joseph's life. These religious leaders could, could see that there was something different in the lives of these Common fishermen, if you if you will. Now here's the deal. Before I just quickly um, land the plane here and, and get to this week's passage, we, we need to go over last week's uh, passage together. Okay, and last week's passage was Proverbs chapter three, five, and six. Okay, and I want you to know, Saturday night they nailed it. Last hour, nailed it there's a lot of pressure on you in here okay this is our memory verse if you're visiting with us you got to pass okay but we have a memory verse uh, each week that we're all learning Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 let's do it here we go trust in the Lord All right, give yourself a hand. You guys, that was all right. That was all right. I hate to say this. Uh, next week, you guys got to step it up, okay, because I got a little weak there towards the end. So next week, we'll, we'll, we'll step it up. Here Here's this week's passage, this week's memory verse. First Corinthians chapter 10 says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it and here's the deal we're all memorizing scripture together okay so write this down on a three by five card stick it up on your mirror when you're shaving or putting your makeup on put one in your car right there on the dash you know, take one to work, and every so often just look over, and you need to memorize these verses, okay? This is our homework assignment. Let me just make two real quick comments here, okay? I find this verse reassuring for two reasons. Number one, it's reassuring because it says that everybody faces temptations. All of us. Everybody in this room, everybody over in the venue, anybody listening in their car, anybody watching online, everybody faces temptations. It's it's just something we all have to deal with. I don't care whether you're young or old, guy or gal, black or white, rich or poor. Everybody faces temptations. Everybody. Even Jesus was tempted. And what that tells you is, is that being tempted isn't sinful. Okay? Joseph was tempted, and I'm going to get back to him, and we're going to end with him in just a moment. It's sin when you give in to the temptation. But God's word says, hey, look, we're all going to be tempted. It's a universal thing we all have to deal with. And the second thing is this. It's reassuring because it says that God promises to provide everybody with an exit or a way of overcoming the, the temptation. In other words, God doesn't leave you hanging when you're tempted. There's always a way out, and usually there's more than one way out But God says, listen, family, when you're tempted, there is a way out. You do not have to give in to the temptation. And usually the more time you you spend in the Word of God, the the easier it is to see the way out. To be straight up with you. Now when you look at the life of Joseph, you see a man that was tempted, right? He was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And I think there were three things that he considered that helped him not give in to the temptation. And I want to share them with you, and then we're going to end, okay? These are three things that, that Joseph did that helped him overcome. It was his way out. And the first one was this, is Joseph thought about himself. He thought about what sin would do to his own life. He thought about what sin would do to his own reputation. And before you pull the trigger on giving in to temptation, you need to stop and take a deep breath and say, okay, what will this do to me, my life, my reputation? Just stop and just go, whoa, before I do this, what's going to happen to me? The second thing Potiphar did was he thought about others, or the second thing Joseph did, he thought about others, and that was Potiphar. In Genesis 39:8, Joseph refused. Look, he told uh, her, "My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. Look, your sin impacts other people. There's no such thing as a private little sin." Before you pull the trigger on sin, you need to go, what is this going to do to me? And then you got to go, what is this going to do to my spouse? What is this going to do to my kids? What is this going to do to my parents? What is this going to do with my friends? What impact is there going to be when I make the decision to blow God off and sin against God? there's no such thing as as a as a private little sin that i'll just do this little sin and it doesn't impact anybody else all it impacts is me and and let me give you an illustration and and i know we're going to be late here but here's the deal i used to go to hume in the 80s and and 90s and i used to speak it's a big christian camp and in the 80s i would whenever i would go i would always start by going, "Hey." You know, because these kids didn't know me. There were thousands of kids in this room. Hey, uh, what do you want to know about me? You know, that, you know, they had their own youth pastor. I was just their speaker. And so the kids would ask questions. Hey, what colors your underwear? You know, Boxers or briefs? You know, there was always these dumb, adolescent, kind of weird, dumb questions. And I'd answer them and have fun with them. You know, they could ask me anything they wanted, you know, and whatever. Well, in the 80s, some of you will remember this. Um, the, the, the two big faces of Christianity they were on TV all the time one was a guy by the name of Jim Baker and Jim Baker was having sex with his secretary Jessica Hahn then, he, th- then what he was doing was taking all the money that was coming in for the TV program and he was paying her off it was, it was hush money and it all came out on TV great example being a follower of Christ. And then there was another guy, Jimmy and He came out and pointed his bony finger and said, what a crummy guy, you know, Jim Baker was and all that. And then we found out he had naked dancing ladies in his hotel room. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. There wasn't all the cable channels back then. You had 310 and 13. And so that was all you heard for months was about these two Christian leaders who had fumbled greatly. Everybody was watching them. And let me tell you how I know. I go up to Hume Lake. Hey, what do you guys want to know about me? And I'll never forget, a gal stood up and said, hey, I want to know, are you sleeping with your secretary too? (laughs) The questions changed. Why? Because people are watching. And your sin impacts me, and my sin impacts you were interwoven in ways we don't even understand. Some of you know the story of Achan. Achan had his private little sin. Nobody knew about it. But 36 Israeli soldiers lose their lives. 36 women became widows. There were countless hundreds of children that no longer were going to see their father because of one guy who made a decision to sin. He blew off God. Before you pull the trigger, you've got to think about what's it going to do to you, you've got to think about what's this going to do to other people. My my sin's going to impact others. And then the third thing that Joseph thought about, and this is the most weighty of them all, Joseph thought about God. In verse 9 of Genesis 39, How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Before you pull the trigger on some sin, would you stop and go, okay, What's this going to do to my relationship with the Lord? What's going to happen? I don't care whether it's the kind of temptation Joseph was facing or not. There's all kinds of temptations out there. But if you would stop and you would say to yourself, hey, look, here's the deal what's this going to do to me? What's this going to do to my spouse, my kids, my friends, my grandparents, my children? What's this going to do to God? I think you will clearly see the way out. I think you will have a little bit more clarity on it. A little bit. And if you're here and, you know what, you're going, oh, man, I've already blown it, man, I blew it, and I already, you know, goofed up, and but The point of that wasn't to poke anybody in the eye. Nothing you can do about your past, but you can do something about your future. And you can apply these things to your life now. And the good news is, if you blow it, there's a God that we love who forgives us of our sin. Over in the venue, I wanted to stand in here. I wanted to stand here real, real quick. Let me end by just praying for you. Father, thanks, Lord, for our our time. I I really, really enjoyed last night and worshiping with my family. And last hour was really, really great, Lord. And I enjoyed this hour. And blessings on those that are going to the Dominican Republic. Thank you for their young lives. And they're using the, the energy and the juice of their youth to do some pretty weighty things. Blessings on them. Watch over them. Give their parents peace as their kids go away. I'm thankful, God, for this tool that we have, uh, this building we have. And I, I pray as we look to Easter, it would just be jammed up full of people. May we all leave here praying and thinking about those that we would invite. And then, God, may we all really have a great time memorizing your word this week. God, You, we, we, we all are tempted, and you always have a way to get, for us to get out of it. Lord, may that truth impact our lives, Lord. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, live for Jesus.